Hello, and welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are a faith-filled, family-focused church that's in Lakeville, Minnesota. In a moment, you'll be able to hear a sermon from one of our pastors. We hope that you enjoy and grow closer to God through these messages. And now, for a sermon from our seniors pastor, Dan Olson. All right, well, good morning. It's great to see each of you. Welcome to those watching, worshiping online. My name is Derek, and I'm the lead pastor here at Celebration. And uh, I do not have the joy of preaching this morning, but uh, I do have the joy of giving a few more updates of things that are going on. A lot that is happening here at the church for sure. So uh, you heard on the video there, we've got the Seder experience this Wednesday. Sign up on the app or the website. If you need help, when you leave today across from the Welcome Center in the lobby. We've got a table. They'll be happy to help you sign up uh, so that tomorrow the team can go and buy the right uh, amount of food. And so uh, we got to get the right amount of chicken legs because lamb chops are very expensive. So we're having chicken legs instead of lamb chops. I don't know if that was supposed to be a surprise or not, but that's just good stewardship right there. So uh, anyway, so you can do that on the way out. We're celebrating so much. Uh, Yesterday was the state junior Bible quiz competition. So something that our our kids, elementary school, been memorizing the word of God, questions and answers with that and uh, under the leadership of David and Mariah. And uh, I'm excited to report that uh, in the rookie division, we got top 10 in the state. And in the experience division, we got first and third. Come on, somebody, in the state. So that's awesome. I was also told that our team that got first had only one loss on the whole day, and it was to our team that got third. So basically, we were undefeated except for against ourselves, but so we're so good, we had to split up and have two, and then we still basically won anyway. So praise the Lord. Some of you are like, do we care if we win? Yes, if we're keeping score, we want more. That's the deal. And uh, if we can't get first with the Vikings, we're at least going to get first with Junior Bible Quiz. Settle down, Jeff. The Broncos are not winning either. Leave us alone. And uh, the kids got first, third, and ninth in the state individually. So, wow, just a lot uh, happening. The lobby remodel is being completed this week. So we've been uh, three months. We've had that tarp up. So next Sunday when you come for Easter, get your coffee and donuts in this side of the lobby, not over there. And by the way, also that got fixed in the last three months is next Sunday we're going to have the real-sized donuts back. Praise the Lord. So uh, been a long three years. Come on over for that. That also means the three classrooms are done as well. So this week you can sign up. Uh, Next week, starting on April 10th, we'll be uh, having prayer counseling and deliverance sessions available again. So you can sign up for that even starting this week if there's a need in your life or somebody that you know. uh, I mean, they would need to sign up for them. You can't sign up your friend, (laughs) praise the Lord. But uh, anyway, uh, it's probably good I'm not preaching because I'm losing track already. But send an email to ND. The letters ND stands for Endicari, but ND at celebrationchurch.com. Net. We'd love to get you signed up for that. Also, uh, Saturday, April 15th, a lot of times is known as tax day, but uh, the very first kids pastor here at Celebration this past week went to be with the Lord for his eternal home. Pastor Carl Lindelin passed away. And so on April 15th, not this upcoming Saturday, but the following one will be uh, his celebration of life service. It'll be right here at 11 a.m. on Saturday, viewing before lunch after. So uh, if you'd like to come and be part of that service, you can do that. If you don't want to come and be part of the service, 
but you'd like to help. We're going to have hundreds of people and pastors coming here from across the state. So if you're able, you could help either in the kitchen team or on the hosting team, uh, as we'll be having a number of things. We'll be also hosting uh, district school of ministry on that day. So there will be uh, probably like 500 people here that day. So if you know where things are in the building and you'd like to help other people that don't know where things are in the building, we could use your help on that day. It's a joy to have Pastor Dan Olson uh, bring the word here this morning. He's not only my father-in-law, but he leads our 50-plus ministry, which is the new term for seniors ministry. Because so many people are like, I'm not old enough to go to that. I bet you are, 50-plus. <laughs> um, also, our men's ministry, our local partners, our care and visitation. You know, we, we try to make sure everybody's doing a lot around here, and so we're grateful for him. I, I'm thankful that he's had over four decades of faithful and fruitful full-time vocational ministry, which, by the way, is longer than many of our staff members have been alive. And uh, we're grateful for those staff members' passions, but I'm thankful for the perspective uh, that an older generation can bring. So I'm also thankful, uh, pleased to report that there's not been any scandal or shame that would mar his ministry. In 2023, it seems pretty rare that we could say, as he looks back over the last over four decades, there's not a moment that he's hoping doesn't get discovered that would bring shame to his name, his family, or the name of Jesus Christ. And so I'm grateful to have him come and minister the word of God to us. Let's open our hearts, put our hands together. Pastor Dan Olson. Such an honor. My goodness. Stand in this pulpit. And I don't take that lightly. I never take it for granted. It's an incredible privilege. One of my very, very favorite preachers in this world sits right down here this morning. So every time he speaks, I'm all, I'm listening. Even though in sermon prep, I know a little bit where he's going. I never know how quite he's going to fill it out and put all the pieces together. So Thank you for, and I, I know that there's people who came here this morning just to hear you, and they're going to be disappointed because they're not going to hear you. So forgive me for that. I'm so pleased to be able to have this opportunity. Uh, he mentioned that I, I work with uh, one of my ministries that I'm in charge of is 50 plus, that a lot of you don't think that you belong to, but we are. We're starting to do some things again. We're doing one on uh, Saturday. We're going to, uh, no, Saturday. Yeah, Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> it's a Friday first time. Saturday, we're going down to the Farmington Steakhouse to have a meal together at 4.30. And then we're going out to Haven Acres and we have a hymn sing following that. And so if you want to sign up for that, there's a table right outside these double doors just to the, to the right of that. And you can sign up and Either you drive or we can give you a ride, okay? Looking forward to that. I would invite you to stand with me as I take the word and present it this morning. This, this is one of those passages, you know, this, we've done this so many times. This is my 67th one in life to, to come to a Palm Sunday. And we think we have it all covered. I think there's always something new that God can reveal to us from his word every time. And I think that's going to be the case today as well. From Mark chapter 11, verse 7 through 10. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. 
Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Every time we come together, we get to open the word of God. And I think that's going to be a lot of what heaven's going to be like. There's going to be new revelations just open to us continually. And we're going to have new insights into who you are and what you were all about and what you do for us and have done for us while we are here on earth. Here this morning, and my prayer is that there will be a new kind of a nugget of truth, a new element of understanding that comes as we look into the story of the Palm Sunday almost 2,000 years ago. It's going to help to draw us closer to you and have a better understanding of who you are and what you want from us as individuals. So bless the speaking of your word this morning. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. This is, uh, I begin with one of my very favorite illustrations for this Easter season. It's about a group of four-year-olds who were in a Sunday school class. The teacher asked, does anyone know what today is? One little girl very proudly responded, it's Palm Sunday. Yes, the teacher said, and what is next Sunday? The same girl again, next Sunday is Easter Sunday. The teacher said, yes. And does anybody know what makes next Sunday Easter? Again, the same girl, she's on a roll. She says, on Easter, Jesus rose from the grave. But before the teacher could, could uh, congratulate her on her answer, the little girl continued, but if he sees his shadow, he goes back in for seven weeks. Ah, it's so good. She almost got it right. Almost got it right. And that's the first point this morning that I share with you. Almost got it right. That's what happened with these first century worshipers of Jesus. They almost got it right. Jesus was certainly deserving of the praise and the worship that they were giving him. But they were doing the majority of them. I can't say for every one of them. But the majority of them were doing so for all the wrong reasons, as would be quite evident just a week later. If I ask you, do you know what a paradox is? Some of you would, some of you wouldn't. It's not a pair of mallards that's flying overhead. That's not a paradox. It is a statement or it is an action that contradicts itself. The example I wrote down was simply this. I always lie. If I say, I always lie, that's a paradox. All right? Because if it's truth, it's, not, it's a lie. It's not a lie. And if it's a lie, it's not truth. What we have here on this original Palm Sunday is a paradox. And I'll explain. As they approached Jerusalem, word spread amongst the crowd that Jesus was coming. The miracle worker. Some of them had been privileged to see him. Others had not. But here was their opportunity to lay eyes on him. The self-proclaimed Messiah would soon be in their midst. This was the one that they had prayed for 
to come all their lives. Ever since, ever since Abraham, the Jewish people had been waiting for this day, and now it is here. They were ready to welcome not just their Messiah, but their king. They are ready to welcome their earthly king. How they misunderstood what Jesus was all about. If we go back about 190 years prior to this, in 163 BC, Judah Maccabee led an assault against the city of Jerusalem because it had been occupied by the Syrians and he was there to deliver Jerusalem from the Assyrians. He entered Jerusalem triumphantly having beaten Israel's enemy in battle. So the battle is over and now he comes in triumphantly. Now, this may be one of the very first times that anybody from this pulpit here at Celebration has used a passage from the Apocrypha to speak. And uh, it's, it's, not, it's not the normal books that we would use when we're speaking. The Apocrypha were other books that were added to the canon of Scripture. We have in our Bible 66 books of the Bible, part of the canon. And they all meet uh, certain criteria that had to be given so they could be considered God-ordained words of God. Maccabees, 1 Maccabees, is one of those that was not included in that. But it still has a certain amount of historical uh, goodness to it that we can get some understanding of who this Maccabees was. So here's what it says, 1 Maccabees chapter 13, verse 51. And he entered into it, talking about Jerusalem. And he entered into it with thanksgiving and branches of palm trees and with harps and cymbals and lyres and hymns and songs because there was destroyed a great enemy out of Israel. That sounds just a little bit familiar, doesn't it, to the Palm Sunday that we're talking about right here. Judah Maccabee, that was their hero. Many thought that he was the Messiah. And as he entered Jerusalem, he in fact reclaimed the temple. To this day, that event of Judah Maccabee is still celebrated, this Jewish feast of Hanukkah. You don't even, you hear it, you see the lighting of the menorah candle, the nine candles, all of this type of thing for those eight days, but a lot of you don't know what it's from. Well, that's where it's from, and that's what they are celebrating. And uh, so here's this Judah Maccabee coming in to deliver Jerusalem and, and uh, Israel, and they thought he was the Messiah, but in fact, he himself would be killed in battle three years later. He'd enter Jerusalem riding on this massive stallion. And the people saw that picture of him coming in. And they shouted and waved at their palm branches and cheered, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Much like they did on this Palm Sunday with Jesus. Much of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem was like that of Judah Maccabee, but there was one big difference, and that was that Judah entered in to Jerusalem riding on a stallion. 
this large horse. He wanted to show his majesty. He wanted to show his authority. He intended to set up an earthly kingdom. But in the end, he died. And so did the dream that he was wanting to create of an earthly kingdom. Which gives me this statement, and I leave with you. That which is earthly will never last very long. That which is earthly will never last very long. So I want you to take that, even though this isn't one of our main points. It's still a good point. Take it and think about that this week. When you are giving yourself to your life, to what you do in everyday life, you are going to work, you are making a living, you are giving time to certain activities, to events, to things. Are they earthly or do they have an eternal uh, value to them? Your family would have an eternal value to them. You want to invest into them. But if everything that you are doing is simply for earth, it's not going to last. It's not going to last. So don't give your priority time and talents and money to those things that are going to be gone. You give it to that which is going to last. So when Jesus entered Jerusalem, not riding on a stallion, but riding on a donkey. And a donkey is certainly not associated with military power. A donkey is a humble creature, more associated with peace than war. Jesus chose that type of animal to ride into Jerusalem on because his kingdom was not going to be about earthly power. He wasn't going to force anyone to love him or to serve him. And he still doesn't do that today. He's not going to force you to love him. You have a free choice. He wants to appeal to that choice. He wants to show you why he deserves your honor and your glory and your devotion. But he's not going to force you to do it. Okay. Number two. A promise fulfilled. This entire series that we're going into now is about promises. And I want to, to uh, give some attention to that here in this this morning. A promise fulfilled. So we're going to go back from the time of Jesus, back about 500 plus years, to when Zechariah wrote his mind, the minor prophet Zechariah. And it's chapter 9, verse 9. We have this prophetic promise. Here's what it says. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout daughter Jerusalem. See, your kingdom comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. There's the promise. In fact, somebody has gone through and added up all the promises of God, and they came up with 8,810 promises that God made in the Bible. 7,487 of those were promises that God made directly to mankind. Those are promises that he has fulfilled or will be fulfilling in the days, the years to come. Promises that God has made reminds me of this passage out of Romans chapter 4, verse 20 and 21. Yet he did not waver through unbelief, regarding the promises of God, 
being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. I love that. I want that to be said of me. So here's the promise made hundreds of years earlier, now being fulfilled on this day. So now comes this gentle, lowly Messiah riding on a donkey, entering Jerusalem. The onlookers took their coats, placed them on the path that he took. They waved their palm branches, began to cry, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were reciting words from the 118th Psalm. That is a most impressive passage of Scripture. You could spend all week or all month just going through that chapter on your own and looking at all these magnificent things that are written there about the coming Messiah. In fact, there are a few psalms that were considered to be psalms um, for this time when the, the Passover was taking place. And when it says in Matthew 26 that before they left the place, Jesus and his disciples sang a song and then went out. This is very likely the song that they were singing, this Psalm 118. And can you imagine what it was like for Jesus, knowing that in just a few moments to hours, he would be fulfilling the words that are here in this song. But here's what it says. It's a, it's a big chapter. I'm not reading it all, but I want to read these 10 verses. Psalm 118, verse 19 to 29 Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter the gates. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done this this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Verse 25, the Lord saves us. The Lord grants us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God. He has made his light to shine upon us. With bows in hand, joining the festal procession up to the horns of the altar, You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. We have a couple phrases in there that they used on that Palm Sunday. He who comes, you see it there in verse 26. He who comes was another name for the Messiah. So instead of even saying the Messiah, when they say, he who comes, that's who they're talking about, the Messiah. They thought 190 years earlier it was Judah Maccabee. Now they think that it is, in fact, Jesus. They talked of him as the one who is coming in this conqueror's psalm. But for the Jews, this conquering was always a physical conquest not a spiritual conquest. They welcomed Jesus only as the one who was coming to destroy Israel's enemy, Rome. 
and to liberate them from Roman rule. To establish them once again as the proud, sovereign country they once were under with King David. They addressed him with Hosanna. This word is, I think, very misunderstood. We sang it this morning. Sang it beautifully. A song of worship, praise to our God. And in in the Greek, it does say, Hosanna. But if you go back to the Hebrew and you look at the origination of that word, what it means is save now. That's why they said to Judah Maccabee, save us now. And that's why on this Palm Sunday they are saying to Jesus, save us now. And in their minds, save us now from Roman rule. A few of them, very possibly, did understand what Jesus was about as the true Messiah. But many of them did not. So it is often quoted as praise and it has kind of evolved into a word of praise for us today. It's how we use it. But in the Hebrew, meaning it says save now. There's two examples of this in the Old Testament. In 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 4, it says, When the women, woman from Tekoa went to the king, she fell with her face to the ground to pay him honor, and she said, Help me, O king, or save me, O king. 2 Kings 6.26, As the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried to him, Help me, my lord, the king. That is the same way that it's being used there as the save now Hosanna that we know in the Greek. So Hosanna was not a cry of praise to Jesus on this particular day as much as it was a cry to God to break in and to save his people now that the Messiah had come. They wanted redemption now. Not from sin, but from the Romans. And Jesus, as the Son of God, however, knew that they needed so much more. The same way that he knows how much more that you need today than you need salvation from physical problems, which he'll give you. But he's concerned about your eternal soul and the sin that is there in your life because his whole reason for you being here is to spend an eternity with him where he gets to lavish his love and his goodness and his grace on you for all the days to come of eternity. So he would give them not a physical redemption for the body, but a spiritual redemption from sin for the soul. That's why just one week later, that same crowd that had given him praise waved their palm branches and claimed him to be the Messiah would now yell out, crucify him. They saw that he was not what they expected. From blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord to crucify him. It's a paradox. It's false praise. It's false devotion. And is there a chance that God looks at you who are here this morning in this room, those who are watching from home online, 
Is there a chance that he looks to you the same way as those same worshipers that were there to worship, worship Jesus on Palm Sunday? Their dedication to Christ was only for what he, they thought he could do for them now. Very few of those same people would linger at the cross a week later. Only a handful from the masses could be described as those who loved Jesus and those who he was and truly worshiped him as the son of God. There may well be those who hear these words that I speak now who are tempted to leave the Savior, the once the one that they had loved so dearly. But now you're tempted to leave because there is a promise from him that has gone unfulfilled. And Satan has worked his way into your mind and into your heart and your spirit. And he gets you to doubt to doubt the same way that he did with Adam and Eve, to doubt the very word of God. There's a job that you did not receive. There's a physical healing that has not yet taken place in your life. It's a prodigal child who has decided to choose to leave your family. It's a spouse that seeks a divorce from you. It's a church family that has seemingly abandoned you. First of all, make sure that the promise that you are standing on was not just wishful thinking, but it was in fact a promise that did come from God. And if it was a promise from God, the answer may not come when you think it should, but it will come. May we be like Abraham which says, being fully persuaded that God has the power to do what he has promised. And in the right way, at the right time, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but it will come. That promise will be there for you. God will always fulfill his promises. Proverbs 3, 5 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, do not lean on your own understanding. Uh, don't, trust, don't trust this. It's, this is influenced by things that we see and read and hear and watch and do and what other people do. You base, base it on what God's word says. That is always truth. And he will always honor his word. And the promise will be fulfilled. Number three, hopefully devoted to you. This is not Sandy singing about Danny in the movie Grease. I changed the word just so I wouldn't give too much credence to that song. It's a very pretty song, by the way. But Sandy would sing hopelessly devoted to you. And that even in itself is not such a bad word. Hopelessly devoted to you, God. 
There is nothing I can do here on earth. I need you. I'm desperately in need of you. I am hopelessly devoted to you. You are my answer. And I'm hopelessly devoted to you. But I changed it to hopefully because he is my hope. Everything I have is a hope in him. There was little true devotion that day. That is one thing that God so desperately wants from each of us here today is where's that devotion level in you? I want to share a little bit about David Livingston. It's a name that many of you will know. And when Stanley finds him, Livingston, I presume, you know, that whole thing. He's a pioneer missionary into Africa. He walked in his ministry years, he walked over 29,000 miles to share the gospel his wife died early in their ministry, and so he was alone by himself for so much of his ministry years. He faced very stiff opposition from his Scottish brethren. They didn't agree with what he was doing or how he was doing it. He ministered half-blind. One eye was, didn't work. His kind of perseverance can spur each of us on. And I want you to listen to the words They took from his diary. This was a prayer that he had written to his God. It says this, Send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me. Sever me from any tie, but the tie that binds me to your service and to your heart. That is devotion. That's what God would love to see in each one of us. So this question, devotion, what is it? We'll spend just a few minutes here. The root of devotion, the root of it is simply means to devote to a sacred use, to devote to a sacred use. So in its true sense, devotion has to do with religious worship. Devotion is the particular frame of mind found in one entirely devoted to God. It's a spirit of reverence. It's a spirit of awe of who he is, of your godly father, and it's a godly fear of him. In Acts chapter 2, in Acts, the book of Acts, there's a couple examples of this, but in Acts 2, it says of Cornelius, this Gentile Roman centurion, that he and all his family were devout God-fearing, he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Through a vision while he's in prayer, he he gets this this word dropped into his heart from God. And it says, three o'clock in the afternoon, go and get Peter, bring Peter back. I can use Peter to help explain all of this to you. And so they go and get Peter. Peter comes back in verse 44 of chapter 10 of Acts. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. And so here now are these Gentiles. Not only are they saved, but they begin to experience this deeper walk with the God through his Holy Spirit flowing through them. Even while, the, while Peter speaks, the Holy Spirit falls upon them. So, devotion to God equals worship, It equals prayer, it equals witness, it equals power of God on our lives. And then later in Acts chapter 22, verse 12, this is uh, Paul in need of help. 
A man named Ananias came to see him. He was a devout observer of the law, highly respected by all the Jews living there. So here is Paul, blinded through his encounter with with, uh, Jesus. And he needs Ananias to come and minister to him. So here Paul speaks of Ananias as a devout man of God who was sent to Paul, Saul at the time, to tell him what the Lord would have him to do. That tells me then devotion to God, speaking of Ananias, means sensitivity to the Spirit, accompanied by a holy boldness. God wants you to be sensitive, and he can speak into your life in a moment's time. He can say, drop what you're doing, go over here and speak to this individual. Go over here, speak to them, do this work for me. You're sensitive to the moving of the Holy Spirit in your life on a daily basis, and you're ready with boldness, holy boldness, to speak for God, to be used by him. That's all a part of devotion to God. In his book, One Crowded Hour, Tim Bowden describes an incident in Borneo back in 1964. Nepalese fighters, known as the Gurkhas, were asked if they would be willing to jump from airplanes into combat against the Indonesians. The Gurkhas didn't clearly understand what was involved, but they bravely said, We will do it, but we do have a couple conditions we would like to have you meet if you could. They asked that the plane would fly slowly over a swampy area and no higher than 100 feet. When they were told that the parachutes would not have time to open at that height, the Gurkhas replied, oh, you never mentioned parachutes before. They were going to jump from the plane without a parachute. They just wanted to be low enough and into a softer landing of the swamp. A holy boldness was there for them. God can wonderfully use devoted men and women to carry forward his plans. Prayer promotes, prayer promotes the spirit of devotion. Prayer thrives, it thrives in the spirit of true devotion. It's easy to pray when you are in the spirit of devotion. And God dwells where the spirit of devotion resides. So I ask you the question. Do you enjoy prayer? Or is it a struggle for you? And if it's a struggle, then maybe that level of devotion needs to be elevated (laughs) Just a bit here this morning. It's not easy. It's not an easy task for the lips to try and pray while the heart is absent from it. Devotion engages the heart in prayer. If your heart is not in it, prayer and this whole thing of church life will, not, will, will be a great frustration to you. This is God's charge against Israel. Here's what he says, Isaiah 29, 13. These people come near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules 
taught by men. There's a possibility, certainly. Those who are listening this morning here at home, that may describe you a little bit more than you want it to. Because your heart is not fully tapped into who God is. And you need to elevate that. So let me give you this quote from this work and see if it describes you in any way. And in the work it says this, We live in a busy world. We have brought that business, that busyness into the church. The church is a religion, not a relationship. Its religious performances are many. The church works at religion with the order and precision of a piece of machinery. And so often it also works with the heartlessness of a machine. We pray without praying. We sing without singing. We have music without the praise of God being in it or near it. There can be little sense of worship in our singing. We go to church by habit and come home all too gladly when the benediction is announced. We read our accustomed chapter in the Bible and feel quite relieved when the task is done. We say our prayer by rote as a schoolboy recites his lesson and are not sorry when the amen is uttered. Those are words written by E.M. Bounds. Some of you would know he has written some of the greatest works that we have on the whole topic of prayer. He gives us another quote, and I share this with you. Prayer thrives in the atmosphere of true devotion. Prayer thrives in the atmosphere of true devotion. I was so excited this morning. There was an individual that I had met in the lobby, and I was talking to him for just seconds, moments, and he started to cry, and he said, oh, it's, it's just all falling apart. It's not good right now. He talked about the physical problems, the emotional problems, relationships, spiritual warfare taking place. And I'm wanting to pray for him, but I also have other things that I need to be doing. So I see two individuals over here that I know are great prayer warriors. And I bring them over. And they kind of take over for me. You don't need the pastor to be praying for you. These are, these are other individuals in the church. And they're ready to pray. And next time I, I look, there's, I think, six of them gathered around this individual, and they're praying, and they're interceding for him. That's a spirit of devotion where God can use you at any time, and you are sensitive to the Spirit so that he can take you from here over to here so that he can accomplish here what needs to be done. In comparison, then, how is your level of devotion to God? Do you come to God's house for social reasons or to spend time with him? There are some who will come here this morning primarily to be seen of others. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. But they want to be seen. It's not necessarily a heart that's devoted to God as much as it is as wanting to maintain appearances 
as a believer in Jesus Christ. Koinonia is that fancy word for fellowship, the Greek word for fellowship. And it's valuable. It's important. I love it. It, it, it took such a big hit during COVID. People staying at home, us not gathering together. Koinonia was, was, it was tough to not have that. And I want this. I want the relationship with you. And I'm going to be out in the lobby and I'll be talking with others when they leave this morning. We'll get together during the week and we'll talk and fellowship. But this is not as important as this. My fellowship with you is not as important as my fellowship with God. Because one day all of this will be gone. But I am going to have a relationship with God that is maintained and is kept going even when you're not here. A true spirit of devotion puts God in all things. 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. A spirit of devotion puts pure worship back into our worship services. It transforms the office and the workplace and the school and the home into a temple of God. No longer is religion just a thin veneer, but it is placed into the very life and being of our souls. Revelation 4.8 talks about worship in heaven, worship of our Lord in heaven. It tells us what it's like now and what it will be forever and says in verse 8, chapter 4, Revelation Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So when you look at that description, there's nothing cold there. There's nothing dull there. There is no boredom in that worship. No apathy with what is taking place. It is all real. It is fresh. And it's something that's new every day. For them, as it should be for us. The spirit of devotion pervades the saints in heaven. There are no devotionless creatures in the heavenly world. If this was your week to go like it was for Carl a couple days ago, how would you fit in to heaven, to the praise of heaven? If we would be partakers of this same worship in heaven, we must first learn the spirit of devotion here on earth before we get there. Imagine a sun without light or heat. Imagine a flower without beauty or fragrance. Imagine a Christian without devotion to God. And God has seen way too many of those. Several years ago, newspapers told about how a Navy jet fighter shot himself down because flying at supersonic speed, he ran into the shells that he had only fired a few seconds before. So I ask you then, is your life traveling too fast to worship the Lord, to give him the devotion that he desires and needs. Isaiah 40, 31, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. A.W. Yeah. Tozer said, we are called to an everlasting preoccupation with God. Yeah. Wow. 
Is that a good description of you? Or does God and the serving of him get in the way of your living your daily life? It's a true story here. Bertoldo di Giovanni. It's a name that the most enthusiastic lover of art is unlikely to recognize. He was the pupil of Donatello. Donatello was the greatest sculptor of his time. And Bertoldo was the teacher of Michelangelo, the greatest sculptor of all time. Michelangelo was only 14 years old when he came to Bertoldo. But it was already obvious that he was enormously gifted. Bertoldo was wise enough to realize that gifted people are often tempted to coast rather than to grow. Therefore, he kept trying to pressure his young protege to work seriously with his art. One day he came into the studio to find Michelangelo toying with a piece of sculpture far beneath his abilities. Bertoldo grabbed a hammer, he stomped across the room, and he smashed the work into tiny pieces, shouting this unforgettable message. Michelangelo, talent is cheap. Dedication is costly. Talent is cheap, but dedication is costly. We have in Luke 9, 23 and 24, then he said to them all, Jesus speaking, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. Yes, dedication and devotion is costly. Talent is something probably most of you are born with. A lot of it's inherited down through family. Devotion, that's something that you choose to develop. How much are you going to love your God? Yes, it will cost you your life, as we just read from Jesus' words in Luke 9, but the rewards are well, well worth it. I end with this little story. Just a young guy. His mother had died when he was even younger yet. He's still a child, but she had died, and he really didn't know her. His father, in trying to be both mom and dad, had planned a picnic The boy had never been on a picnic, so they made their plans, fixed the lunch, packed the car. Then it was time to go to bed, for the picnic was going to be the next day. He just couldn't sleep. He laid in bed, he tossed, he turned, but the excitement got to him. Finally, he got out of bed, he ran into the room where his father had already fallen asleep, and he shook his dad. His father woke up and saw his son... He said to him, what are you doing up? What's the matter? The little boy said, I can't sleep. The father asked, why can't you sleep? In answering, the boy said, Daddy, I'm excited about tomorrow. His father replied, well, son, I'm sure that you are, and it's going to be a great day, but it won't be a great day if we both don't get some sleep. So why don't you just run back down the hall, get into bed, let's get a good night's rest. So the boy went off down the hall to his room, got into bed. Before long, sleep came, but only for the father. 
And it wasn't long, therefore, that the little boy was back on top of his dad, pushing him and shoving his father, trying to open his eyes. Harsh words almost blurted out of the dad until he saw the expression on the boy's face. The father asked, oh, what's the matter now? And the boy said, Daddy, I just want to thank you for tomorrow. I just want to thank you for tomorrow. And that's where I'm at today. Father, I just want to thank you for tomorrow. Thank you that 2,000 years ago on that Palm Sunday, you took the first steps towards Jerusalem where you would give up your life, your earthly life, so that I could have eternal life. Thank you for tomorrow and all the promises that come with it. Thank you for the promise of restoration to you. Thank you for the promise of hope in you. Thank you for the promise of joy through you. Thank you for the promise of healing from you. Thank you for the promise of eternity with you. Thank you for a tomorrow where all my dreams will be fulfilled. Thank you for a tomorrow where I will never be abandoned or forsaken. Thank you for tomorrow where I will continue to see a cross standing tall, directing me to paradise and an eternal heaven where I will live with you forever. Thank you, Father, for tomorrow. Let's pray. Jesus, on this Palm Sunday, we're remembering what you did for us 2,000 years ago. You took those steps towards Jerusalem. We know you today, certainly as the Messiah, the true Messiah. But we also recognize today that you did not come to set us up or to take us out of what the world could do to us, even though those, those are benefits and they, they continue to come into our lives. You were not there to deliver Israel from Roman rule that day. You were there to go to a cross so that you could save mankind from their sin and that they would not be just saved from a few days of oppression, but they would be saved from the, the rule of sin over their lives for all of eternity, that they would have everlasting relationship with you. That's why we say thank you for tomorrow. Thank you for what you're going to do for us. They didn't fully understand on that first Palm Sunday what it was all about, but today we do. Yes, we sing Hosanna in our worship, but we have transferred that more to save now from the penalty of sin, and you do that for us, and we give you thanks for it. We can sing Hosanna, and we can mean it as praise to our Lord, to our Savior. We do so with such thanksgiving. And on this Palm Sunday, let that be the thing that resonates in our minds and in our thoughts, in our lives. 
Yeah, we sing Hosanna. God, I need you. I need you to save me. But we also at the same time, because you are Messiah, we elevate our level of devotion to you. We elevate our level of dependence on you and asking you to help us to grow, to spiritually mature, to be devoted where you can use us at any time, any place, for any reason. That's what we want in our lives, in a life that is devoted to you. Thank you, Jesus, for our tomorrow. Amen. We hope that you learned something from this message and are able to apply it to your life. If you gave your life to Jesus for the first time or for the tenth time, please reach out to us on Facebook or email us at info at celebrationchurch.net. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again next week.